This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 134 of the Moranalytics podcast, presented by our friends over at Pulse Cellular. Today is Friday, July 12th. Thank you, as always, for listening, for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do so right now. Before I get into today's episode, and I'm pretty pumped about this episode, want to let you guys know that I'm going to be coming back to my hometown, Buffalo, New York, at the end of the month. I'm going to be there for a couple of weeks, and naturally, I'm excited for lots of reasons, an opportunity to see friends and family. Enjoy some Buffalo food, get out there, enjoy the nice summer Buffalo weather. But one of the reasons why I'm excited is because instead of doing my podcast here in my home studio in Florida, I love, love getting an opportunity to go out to some of the bars and restaurants and tape my show there, have a guest with me. And I'm letting you know this because if you want to come out, if you're a fan of the show, say hello to me, say hello to whoever my guests are going to be for those shows. I'll let you know who it's going to be and where it's going to be at. Follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. Again, that's always a good time. One other thing, too. Still have that contest going on, courtesy of our friends over at Identity Inc. An opportunity for you to win three really cool Buffalo-themed t-shirts. No gimmicks or anything like that. All you got to do to be eligible to win is go on my Twitter. Again, it's at Pabarin Tweets. It's pinned right at the very top of my page. There's a tweet showing the t-shirts. All you got to do is like that tweet and subscribe to this podcast, either on Apple or Google, either or, doesn't matter. That contest is going to be winding down soon. So go ahead and do that now. Again, sponsored by our buddies over at Identity Inc. As for today's show, let's get into that, all right? Kicking off a series today, and I could not be more pumped about it. It's not going to be every episode. It's not going to be every week. It's probably not, might not even be every month. But from time to time, I'm going to do a series, and it's going to be called High School Hoops Legends. Kicking that off today. And let me, all right, let me go this way, okay, before we really get into things. I talk about the Bills and Sabres all the time. It's fun, but at the same token... I like to try to do things differently here on this podcast. I pride myself in having some guests and some topics of conversation on things that you're not going to get anywhere else. As much as I like to think that I have, in fact, I do have great guests on who talk bills and savers, but you could also get that stuff somewhere else. 
this series, you're not going to get this anywhere else. I'm pretty confident of that. And I grew up in the city. I went to Lafayette High School in Buffalo in the mid to late 80s. Okay. And at that time, high school basketball in the city, especially, was king. These kids were rock stars. They were larger than life, unbelievably talented. Kids like Curtis Aiken, Trevor Ruffin, and Marcus Whitfield, and Richie Campbell. I could go on and on and on. 80s and in the 90s as well. Some of the best high school basketball players you'll see anywhere. It was just a fun time to be a basketball fan. And I was. You know, I played in high school. I played some football. I played a little tennis, a little baseball. But I didn't play basketball in high school. But man, I was... Those gyms were packed everywhere you went. And it wasn't like today's day and age where you don't have to be at a game because everyone has a huddle tape. You can see highlights. You can go on YouTube, Twitter, so many other things. Back in in my day, not to sound like an old guy here, but back in my day, it's true. You wanted to see these stars play, man. You had to go out and watch them. And the atmosphere in these gyms were like no other. And one of those stars from that era is going to be my first guest as I start the series today. Jason Rowe, who played at Buffalo Traditional in the mid-90s. Again, one of the best high school basketball players ever, literally ever, to come out of Western New York. And if you don't believe me, just check the accolades, man. He, uh, three-time first-team All-Western New York player, two-time Buffalo News Co-Player of the Year, third-team all-time in Western New York when the Buffalo News did their, um, in 2009, they ran a, a series of the best teams all-time. Western New York. One of the best 15 players to ever come out of Western New York. First team all 90s for the entire decade. That's how good he was. Anyway, we talk about his life. We talk about growing up in the city of Buffalo, what it was like growing up back then. Some of his basketball heroes, uh, the Masson Boys Club, how it helped make him a better basketball player. His career at Buffalo Traditional. You know, he took a team, him and, and Damian Foster, and they became winners, man. They they won Section 6 title all four years. He won a state title his senior year. We talk about all that stuff, his college career, how it ended before he wanted it to. He didn't play in the NBA, but he played overseas for 15 years in like 11 different countries. What a, what a life, man. What an experience, huh? Talk about all that stuff. He's a coach now at Bishop Tymon High School as well. So we'll hit on that. It's just for people like myself, for my age, who remember the high school basketball scene back in the day. It's a trip down memory lane. Trust me. And if you're younger, it's an education. It's exactly what it is. And again, this is going to be a series that I do from time to time. I mean, once every maybe 10, 12 episodes, I'm going to seek out one of the old legends of high school hoops. And we're starting that today. So I'm really pumped about that. Jason Rose is going to be on the podcast also coming up on the episode today, I have a movie review of Spider-Man Far From Home, a non-spoiler review, by the way. So if you have not yet seen the movie at theaters, you don't have to worry about listening to this and having that spoiled for you. This comes courtesy of Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. He was on the show a couple months ago, and he's been kind enough to let me from time to time run the audio versions of some of his YouTube movie reviews. And this is going to be one of them. Again, I know Spider-Man Far From Home is a a big blockbuster movie that's out right now. So I got that for you. Go check out his YouTube channel. I'll talk about that more later on in the show. The guy's got over 122,000 subscribers and growing daily for good reason. So 
Got Jason Rowe coming up. Got Sean Chandler coming up. I'll get to both of those in just a minute. Real quick, though, I do want to talk Buffalo sports for just a few minutes here. Actually, I want to talk NBA first because let me ask you this, all right? This is primarily Buffalo sports fans who listen to this podcast who are obviously Sabres and Bills fans. Do you remember a time where the NFL has been more quiet over the last few months since the NFL draft? I can't. The NBA has just been incredible. It has absolutely dominated the sports world now for a couple months. And I know it's always like that. The NFL slows down after the draft, but man, I don't think it ever has like this. I don't think the NBA has ever been more popular than it is right now. Turn on ESPN, turn on Fox Sports. That's all they talk about. I know it's going to change as the NFL training camp started. It'll change some, but you can't take away from the NBA. It's just been a ball of fire this last, what, three, four months now? From the from the playoffs to the unbelievable championship series to free agency with Kyrie and KD and uh, Kevin Durant. All these guys switching teams. It's just been nuts. And, um, Davis going to the Lakers. I could go on and on forever. The NBA is just fun again. It really is. And I love the fact, by the way, that Kawhi did not go to the Lakers. I love that he went to the Clippers because there's no one team now in the NBA. There's no super team. There's no less than six teams in the West that have a legitimate chance to contend for a championship this year. And at least because the East isn't as good and everyone thinks Philly's such a big, clear front runner. I don't buy that. They're one of three or four teams that contend in the East. It's just the NBA is fantastic right now. I'm not going to go as far to say is I like it better than the NFL, but I will admit this it's gaining. I think the NBA for me as a whole is as popular now as it's ever been. Certainly is in the mainstream media. That's for sure. But anyway, Again, that'll change soon because NFL training camp is just a couple weeks away. And from a Bills perspective, I'm really locked in on two things when it comes to training camp. Well, many things, but two things specifically. And number one, first and foremost, is the offensive line and how things play out. I'm really looking forward to Bills training camp for that reason alone. Because, listen, that line was historically bad last year. Everybody knows that. Couldn't be any worse than they were last year. And to the Buffalo Bills credit, the organizational credit, They addressed it. They addressed it like anything else I've ever seen before. They signed so many free agents, and that doesn't even count using a second-round pick on Cody Ford. But here's the thing, and this is where it gets interesting. You could go ahead and write in pen Mitch Morris as the starting center, but that's it. Nothing else should be in pen. Everything else is in pencil right now, including Deion Dawkins, by the way, at left tackle. I'm not 100% positive that Ty Naseki doesn't end up playing left tackle. Cody Ford could play on the right side. Or Dawkins could. Or could slide inside a guard. He could not start at all. You got Spain in the mix. You got Feliciano in the mix. You got Spencer Long in the mix. Maybe we shouldn't write Wyatt Teller off yet. He was just a rookie last year. There's just a lot going on with that team right now. Adrian Waddle should be a nice, steady swing tackle. Lots going on, man. It's going to be really interesting to see what combinations... They, they go with over the course of practices and ultimately the preseason games and come week one, what that starting lineup is going to be. It, to me, it's just going to be fascinating. And then the other thing is this. Listen, everybody is talking about Josh Allen. I get it. I really do. I understand that. A lot of people are talking about the running back situation between McCoy and Gore. Singletary, the rookie, how much is he going to play? Who's going to be the number one wide receiver? Those are things that I, I understand why those are the hot topics right now. But I'm going to tell you this. This is what I'm predicting. Coming out of training camp, I think Tremaine Edmonds is going to hes gonna really step up and become the guy that people look at and say, this is going to be the biggest star in the whole team. 
I, I believe that with all my heart right now. Not Josh Allen, not Tredavious White. I like both of them, but I think Tremaine Edmonds is the best athlete on this team. And after a so-so rookie year, I think he's really going to look good in, in training camp in the preseason. And I think Bills fans are going to be really excited to see him play. So, got that coming up over the next couple of weeks. And by the way, in terms of this podcast, I'll be starting to have a lot. And I mean a lot more Buffalo Bills talk and Bills-related guests coming on. Last thing that we'll get going to, Sabres. I got to at least touch on them, okay? They kind of proven me wrong over the last week and a half or so. In fact, it was just maybe two weeks ago where I had a conversation with Jeff Boyd on here. I was like, "What is this team just going to run it back? Because that's what it felt like at the time. It's like they traded for Colin Miller and that's it. And I especially felt that way after they re-signed Zegmans Gergensen. Or not re-signed him. They gave him a qualifying offer and he immediately signed it. So he's back here for another year. I'm like, so what are they doing? Just running it back with the same chump squad that they had last year? That finished 27th in the NHL? Well, that's not going to be the case. They go out. They sign Marcus Johansson to a two-year contract. There's your top six forward right there. And then they trade a big trade this week, which I don't think anyone saw coming. I'd listen, I can't even pronounce the dude's name, so I'm not going to make a fool of myself on the air here. They traded Alex Nylander to Chicago, and they got, I'm going to call him the Joker. I've heard that's one of his nicknames. Tell I learned his name better, I'm not going to butcher it here on the air. Big-time trade. And when the Sabres make a trade like that, I don't like to go to the local media. I don't look at the Buffalo media at first and what they're saying or, or Sabres fans. Because Sabres Twitter and media can be a little deceiving. I instead like to go to the other team. I go to the Chicago media and I go on the Chicago boards and see what their read on it is. And I can tell you this, they were irate. Very irate. Did not like that trade. Chicago fans, Chicago media did not like that trade. So that could be good news for the Sabres. Again, don't just don't run it back. And they're not running it back. And they got way too many defensemen, by the way. They're gonna. I, how does Rasmus Rissalainen not get dealt at this point? He has to, right? He's going to be getting dealt. He has to be. So they're probably not even done. You trade him, maybe uh, throw something else in another piece, and you're probably going to get yourself another top six forward. So if nothing else, I'm not confident that the Sabres are going to be good this year. But at the very least, I'm a little more eager to watch them play because it's not going to be the, just the same team that they run it back from last year minus a new head coach with uh, Ralph Kruger in charge now. So looking forward to that. We'll talk about that as well more in the coming weeks. As for today, let's get going. I've been going on for way too long here. I'm going to kick off High School Hoops Legend Series right now with Jason Rowe, the former Buffalo traditional star, followed by Sean Chandler's movie review of Spider-Man Far From Home. Let's do it. Okay, my guest today is one of the best Buffalo basketball players to ever lace up a pair of sneakers on a high school court, a three-time All-Western New York selection in the mid-90s, including a two-time Buffalo News Co-Player of the Year. His 2,286 points are fourth all-time in Western New York. He played professionally for 15 years all over the world, quite literally, and now is the basketball coach at Bishop Timon High School. I'm talking about Jason Rowe. What's up, Jason? How you doing, buddy? I'm all right. I'm all right. Thank you for having me. Oh, dude, I'm really pumped to have you on, man. This is a, a series that I've been looking forward to doing for quite a while. I've been waiting for the right opportunity and time of year to be able to do it. Having some of the best high school hoopsters ever to play in Western New York on the podcast. You're a great person to start with. And I feel like for middle-aged folks like myself or people who are older, this is like a trip down memory lane of sorts. And maybe... 
for the younger players, including maybe some of the kids that you coach or just the young basketball players out there, kind of a, a little bit of a basketball education. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure you had that growing up too with the guys that came before you. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is, this is fun. This is a lot of, you know, it takes me down memory lane. And again, it gives me a chance to, to, to go down there and revisit things, you know, during my career and even the guys before me, as far as my uncle and Ray Hall and Kurt Aiken and Richie Campbell and Nigel Bostic. My, I can go on and on, man. This is, this is a pleasure. This is awesome. Yeah. And let me tell you, before we get going, before we get cooking and talking about you, man, with me, I went to Lafayette high school, so I'm a city kid. I'm about five, six years older than you, but I was around those players. I didn't play, but I was a big, big, big basketball fan. I know all the guys you just said, the guys that came my era and the guys that came your era, and even a little bit after that, some of the best basketball players ever to come out of Buffalo went to Yale Cup schools. And kind of basketball runs in your bloodlines a little bit. I know your dad played and your uncle was Lester Rowe, who he was a legend at Lafayette. Like I said, I went to Lafayette. He was there in the early 80s, a three-time All-State player, Went on to start West Virginia. Uh, what do you remember about him as a basketball player? Let's start there. My uncle was an incredible leaper. Um, that's what I remember, just his thunderous dunks. Uh, and he talked trash. Again, this was my uncle. So, you know, it's a little different. My experience is different. So, you know, being in the house between him um, and my father, it was rough. It was t- it was rough. It was that, that, that competitive nature that they embedded in me. Um, and it helped, you know, and as far as, again, as far as my uncle, he was an incredible leaper. He got anywhere near that rim. He just wanted to put you in it and, and finish that play the best way that he can. Yeah, and I remember, and you were also, you were related to Trevor Ruffin, correct? No, Trevor, actually, I lived across the street from Trevor. Oh, that's right, yeah. And, and Trevor's like, a, he was like a big brother. He was like, I mean, you could say we were related, but as, as far as blood, no. But Trevor was, has, he he taught me how to be a, a, a professional, how to how to work out how to take care of my body and things of that nature. Who were a couple of your family and friends and people you knew aside, like on an NBA level or college basketball level, who were a couple of your idols, a couple of the guys that you looked up to when you were just a little kid? Sure, by that point, you're already falling in love with basketball. Who were a couple of those guys that you really admired a lot? Uh, on a college level, it was Kenny Anderson and Jason Kidd. Um, I, you, I wore 12 in high school because of Kenny Anderson, actually. Oh, really? Um, I, I yeah, yeah. That's why I wore number 12 in high school. I never knew that. Kenny Anderson. I should probably, yeah, I yeah. should probably tell you that Kenny's been on this podcast before. I've had him on really? the show. Yeah. I was, I was an ultra fan of his as well at Georgia Tech. Um, big yeah, fan of his. It yeah. was a big thrill to have him on. I had him and I've had, uh, Rod Strickland. Those are my two NBA guys yes. that have been on the show. New York City point yeah. guards. But, uh. I never knew oh, that. Man. I never knew that's why you wore 12. That's yeah, cool. I wore 12 because of Kenny Anderson. And I remember in, in the year he got drafted, I was actually at Georgia Tech's camp. And Bobby Cremens came in and announced that uh, Kenny had got drafted. And I was so excited. I felt like I got drafted, too. Because, again, that was somebody that I had looked up to oh, wow. um, on a collegiate level. And as far as uh, professionals that I looked up to, my uncle – even though he played overseas, it's you know, it's obviously it's a professional. Sure. Um, Jordan, I was a big Michael Jordan fan, and my father actually gave me some of the greatest advice ever. He knew I was a Jordan fan, but he also told me I wasn't going to be six six with a forty five inch vertical. Right. So what he what he did is he told me he said, "Watch someone who's more your style and your size." I started watching Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. And I tried to pattern a lot of things that he did as far as his tenacity on the court, uh, how he changed his space, how he could get his shot off of his size at all times. So 
Isaiah and Magic became other guys that I started to look at. And Magic, obviously, I'm not six nine, but Magic because of his passing ability and his and, and, and the way he was a, was a floor general and can control the tempo of a game. You know, that's funny you say Isaiah Thomas. All I think about your dad's a smart man because that's definitely the kind of style that I remember you very well from high school. When did you first realize, how old were you when you first realized that you were better than the average youngster, the average kid who was your age at basketball? There had to be a point where, without you being arrogant and cocky about it, but you had to know that your skill level was better than most your age. And again, you had these people in front of you that you looked up to that you aspired to be like. But at your age, when did you first realize that, yo, I could play too? I don't know if it was, here's the thing. I don't know if it was something that I could actually, I don't know if I actually, if I ever realized that I could play, I didn't have that type of feeling. I always play with older guys. So like my first organized team, I was on a 13 and under team and Damone James was the guy that was playing in front of me Oh wow! or I was playing behind him. Yeah. So I'm playing on the same team as Damone James, who obviously went to Toronto Carroll and had a phenomenal career mm-hmm. there. But this is who I'm playing, you know, with and 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 against in practice. Even though, and I'll be honest, I was eight years old. Wow, he was thirteen. Yeah, so obviously there's a big age difference, and I couldn't check Damone at that age. But there was, I always played against older guys, and especially growing up in the Maston Boys Club, that's what I faced all the time. So I really didn't play against kids my age that much. Well, let me ask you this: Is there, a, I guess, with you, you had the mental toughness? to be able to overcome something like that. You're playing with kids that are older than you. Surely you're getting your ass kicked at the time, but it's making you a better player and it's making you tougher. There's one side. Then there's the other side. And there's some kids where that might happen, where they play above their age level and they just can't handle it. They get, they get their asses kicked like you surely did at that point, but then they just, Mm -hmm. they fold. You know what I mean? They, they, they shut down and they fold a little bit. You know what I'm saying? That, that could happen just as easily too. Obviously it didn't happen with you. But I've also seen kids where, you know, maybe their parents push them to a point that they're not ready to play at or that they're incapable of. And instead of taking that and, you know, becoming more motivated, getting stronger, they end up shutting down over that. I mean, clearly that didn't happen with you, but that does happen from what you've seen, I'm sure. Right. Yes. Yes, for sure. Um, They say pressure bust pipes or pressure can make diamonds. Um, And for me, you know, it, it ended up working out. And again, I'll go back to the household that I grew up in. You can't walk into my father's name is Jerry. You can't walk into Jerry Rose house talking about you quit at anything. Yeah. I can't go. Yeah. I can't walk in front of my uncle Lester and say I quit at anything. So once they, once they, once they knew that, okay, I want to chase this basketball dream. They just instilled that discipline and that work ethic in me to continue to try to get better. You went to traditional for middle school. You stayed there for high school. Why did you stay traditional? Instead of going somewhere else, if I remember correctly at the time, well, Nate Ganey came out of there and he was a hell of a player, yes. but, but before that traditional wasn't exactly known as a powerhouse in high school uh-huh. hoops is more about Burgard and Bennett again, because the guys like Trevor and then of course, Marcus Whitfield, Richie Campbell, those guys over there. Did, why did you stay at traditional? Did you have thoughts of going somewhere else or were you 100% going to stay there all the way? Uh, I took, I, I considered other places. But for me, like traditional was home. Traditional is home. Even though it doesn't exist, it's still home for me. I wanted to build my own. I wanted to have my own legacy. I wanted to have my own lane. I didn't want to go to, I I didn't want to go anywhere else. And it was just as simple as that. And we had talent there already. So why not stay? Yeah. Damian Foster would become your primary running mate at traditional. What was your, what was your relationship with him? How would you describe him 
as a basketball player. I mean, you guys became one of the better tans of that entire decade to play together at traditional in the nineties. What was your relationship with him? He, me and Damien were teammates. We, we hung together off the court. We hung together on the court. We were together in the classroom. We were together in the cafeteria. So we knew each other. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, off the court, and we just developed that relationship. When we weren't in at traditional gym, we were at the Massey Boys Club playing together. So our one-two combination just helped because we were always in the same. We were always in sync. We were always doing the same thing. You know, I remember your high school coach Joe Cardinal um, from when I was in high school and eventually covering high school hoops down the road. Like I said, by the time you became a star, I was out of school and I was starting to to write in the local papers about high school hoops. He was, I wouldn't say he, in fact, he would admit it, I'm sure, that he wasn't the biggest X and O's guy, the biggest technical guy, but he was quite the colorful character, wasn't he? He, for me, in all my years of playing, he's the best coach that I've played for. Not because of X and O's, because you wanted to play for him because he gave you his all. He admitted to us on several times that he wasn't an ex and old guy. So when you're a kid and you have someone being honest with you, mm-hmm. that means a lot. It really. So, you know, there was nothing for us to be in a huddle. And he would say, I don't know what to do right now, which was fine with us because he had already told us that. Now, as far as, you know, when it came down to situations, he put so he instilled so much confidence in us as a team, he was a part of our huddle. He was a part of our locker room. It wasn't like you can have on a lot of teams. It's the coaching staff. It's the players with us. When we put our hands in the middle, he was leading us. So that's why I say he was the best coach because he's the one that's saying one, two, three defense, one, two, three, let's go. And you wanted to give that energy right back to him. So for us as kids, it wasn't about X and O's. It was having this mentor, this father figure, this uncle figure, this, positive role model around us, pushing us every day. Your first two years at traditional, you guys start to establish yourself as a class C powerhouse. You win section six, your first two years, but you lose in the far West regionals, both those years. How hard is that for you as a freshman and as a sophomore to handle You're a young kid at the time? Obviously you want to win badly, probably don't lose a lot. You're not that used to losing. How hard is that? How, how difficult is it for you to be able to bounce back from that at that age? Uh, when you're 14, 15, it stinks. You feel like it's the end of the world. Yeah. Um, you feel like the world's coming to an end and you, you're never going to feel a pain like this ever again. And on top of the pressure that we were starting to get from outside, um, you know, as, as kids, as teenagers, you know, you want to win and you just kind of leave it at that. But, you know, when we're being talked about in the paper and everywhere we go, you start feeling this, this pressure that you're not ready for that you're not used to and i think at times it was it was so overwhelming because we're still kids we're still kids we still want to go home and play video games we still you know want to stay up and watch cartoons you know we we, that's the stuff that we're still interested in but you know over time it just became overwhelming you know at 14 15 16 years old so it was tough it was we had our tough days your junior year you get to the state title game before losing to a team that had Elton Brand was on the team when you played against your junior year, correct? When that won the correct. state championship. Yes. Yeah. You get to the yes. state championship game, you lose that, you finally win it all your senior year, your state champion, going through the heartbreak as a kid, or even as an adult. It don't matter what you age you are. You went through three straight years of heartbreak. How did that feel to finally get over that hump and win it all as a senior to win that state championship? 
it was it was awesome because of how much work that we all put in. And we had came up short the year before um, against Elton Brand's team, my junior year. Um, and we just dedicated ourselves to winning that championship the following year. So when we won it, it was it was the greatest thing ever. It was not even a monkey off our back. It was like a gorilla. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was, because, sure. yeah, because everyone, you know, I, I don't think people consider sometimes how difficult it is to win a championship on any level. There's a bunch of teams and a bunch of players trying to get the same, trying to obtain the same level of accomplishment as you. It's not easy. It's not easy. Right. I hear you, man. Now your era, your era, your direct era of high school competitors, you had guys like yourself, of course, Tim Wynn from LaSalle, Malik Campbell from Turner Carroll, Jeremiah Wilson-Burgard, many others too. What was your relationship with some of those guys? Were you guys pretty tight? Were you guys frenemies? Especially in particular, like Tim Wynn. I mean, you guys split Buffalo News Co-Player of the Year, not once, two straight years. Right. But Tim and I were friends. Yeah. We were friends, and so we never let that interfere with our friendship. When we see each other, when we played AAU, there was there wasn't this. Well, I don't like you because they, no, it was if we were on the opposite teams. Yes, we were competitive, but as far as if we're on the same team, again, on AAU trips, trips, we're roommates. We're sitting at at dinner. We're having dinner together. Like we're kids. Yeah. <laughs> again, we're kids. We're kids. Malik Campbell, I've known. And funny, we actually have the same birthday. But I've known Malik since I can't I've known Malik that long. I can't tell you when I met him. <laughs> so he and I grew up in the boys club together, Maston Boys Club together. Yeah. So that that building, you know, was home to so many uh, uh, athletes. Jeremiah Wilkes. I play in a 40 and over league with Jeremiah Wilkes to this day. Really? And so, yeah, we we talk about, you know, basketball here and there. But again, I've known Jeremiah probably since I was 10, 11 years old. So we all had this, we all had this friendship together. Now on the court, we wanted to take each other's heads off, Yeah, but off the court, we were friends. That's cool, man. Now there's so many, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the Yale cup, by the way, I didn't realize this. In fact, even when I was doing notes, I didn't realize this. You are the last, and this was 95, 96. So you're going on well over 20 years now. You're the last Uh player from a city school to win player of the year. I didn't know that. I'm actually looking really? at that right now. Yeah. Is that news to you too? Yeah. I, I'll tell you what, real quick here. Then we're going to get back on the path, but let's get off the path for one second here. You and Tim, 95, 96. Then from going on, you had Darren Friend from Canisius, Mika Wolford, Jamestown, Leonard Stokes, Julius Page, Charlie Comerford, Lawrence Stokes. He's a Turner guy. Nicole yeah. Parker, Paul Harris, Paul Harris twice, John Flynn twice. Where did John, McCall Parker go? He's at City Honors, right? Oh, yeah, he was at City Honors. My okay. bad. Okay. All right, yeah. so you're the second last person in the last 24 okay. years. So only one other person from you in the last 24 years is one. Let's talk about yeah, the Yelp for a second. Not right? bad, though. Not no, bad. shit, man. Two people in 25 years have won a play from the – that's amazing. I want to talk about the Yelp Cup for a couple of minutes, man, because, again, I was such a big fan when I was in school and many years after I was in high school. I'll never forget some of those players – who came a little bit before me, and then during my year, especially Burgard, and I'm telling you a quick story, I'll never forget this. Burgard's playing at our gym, and I'm, you played a lot yet. You know how tiny that gym was. Well, R- Richie Campbell is bringing the ball up, and I lie to you not, he's kicking it to a girl in the stands while he's playing. And I swear, he, he dropped by 45 that game because that's what he felt like doing. He was literally kicking it, having a relationship, having a conversation with a chick in the stands 
while he's playing, dropping 45 on us. And of course, Marcus Whitfield, there's just, I mean, Richie was a, a different thing. We're not going to get into that. That story's been told a million times. He's told that story himself yeah. a million times and whatever. But here's my, here's my question for you, man. Just all this talent that came out of the city, especially during that time from the early to mid eighties, right straight through, let's just say to the mid nineties around that time era. Now, some of the guys that go on and have pretty decent college careers, Trevor, of course, went to Hawaii. You went and you played D one college basketball, but there's just so many talented, great players who never got beyond high school. And it's a shame. And what, what do you think, what do you attribute that to? Because like I said, there's just too much talent during that era. How much of it do you think might've been because of academics? How much of it? And I'm sure it's a little bit of each, but like, just say the structure in some, some people's lives, whether it's at home or in the streets, or in some cases coaching, they weren't prepared mentally, physically to be able to play at that level. Again, you're an exception and we'll talk about your college career in a second, but does it bother you sometimes when you look back and you, you see, and you personally know so many great players that maybe they weren't better than you, but they were at least on your level, but they never advanced their careers any further beyond high school, except maybe at most, you know, a small college or a junior college. Um, I think you said it best discipline, decision-making structure, whatever the structure that they didn't have, they didn't have the resources to, possibly have someone or pay attention to the decisions that they were making and allowed themselves to kind of go a different route. Um, for me, I was fortunate enough to have that structure. My father was there. Um, my mom was there, Garcia Leonard uh, from the Maston Boys Club. You know what? General, I had the Maston Boys Club. And for me, that was everything. Yeah. To the point where if I got in trouble, my punishment was I couldn't go to the Boys Club. Yeah. You could take away my video games. You could take away my TV. I didn't care. But they took that away from me the few times that I got in trouble. That was the building for me that was any and everything. Garcia Leonard, Kelly Funderburg, all of those, Glenn Taplin, who's Sterling Taplin's father. Yeah. Um, all of these guys were were positive role models. Trevor Ruffin, again, he grew up across the street. He's playing in the set. He's playing with the Philadelphia 76ers. And when he comes home, he's picking me up and we're going to the BAC to work out. Right. Like this, this is my summer. So I was fortunate enough to to have people to not allow me to slip through the cracks on top of, I didn't want to slip through those cracks. I, my dream was to play, was to be a professional athlete, but professional basketball player. And there was nothing that was going to take me away from that. I grew up in, you know, in, in, in a neighborhood that was drug ridden. And a lot of my friends, you know, dead or in jail. It sounds cliche, but that's what happened to me. But sure. I knew that's not what I wanted to do. And I will be very honest. Those guys did not allow me to do that. Right. Yeah. So even when I would come home from college, I had the, 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 the people in my life as I'm riding through the neighborhood and I want to get out and speak. They're saying, Jason, get out of here. You're not one of us. We see you. Hello. Goodbye. So essentially to save my life. Right. Because a lot of times you hear stories of people making bad decisions, wrong place, wrong time. Something happens. Boom. Those people, everyone that I name and I know I'm missing some people and I apologize, but those people never allowed me to do those things. So it kept me on the right track to to achieve uh, the dream that I wanted to achieve. One more high school thing. And then I want to kind of move on to college. In 2009, the Buffalo News and Keith McShay, they did a series highlighting the all time all Western New York hoops teams. You're on the first team, all nineties decade 
team and you were third team all time. History of high school Western New York basketball all time. You're on that third team. Of all the players in the history, you're on that third team, man. What did seeing something like that mean to you? That had to have meant a lot. It 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 meant a lot. There are thousands of players who've come through the city. Thousands of talented players to come through the city. So to be recognized as top 15 ever, ever like that. And, and, and for someone like me who I never wanted to be that, I just, I wanted to play. I was a kid. I wanted to play and I wanted to play professionally. So to be able to be recognized as one of the greatest to ever come out is awesome. And I, and I just thank the people who voted. And I thank my parents and everybody else that I named for pushing me and, and getting out of me what they could. That, yeah. that, it's, it's, an, it's an awesome thing. I appreciate it. And for the record, that wasn't just the city. That's just Western New York, period. No, well, I mean, yeah. yeah, Tim, yeah. <laughs> Mike Harry from Fredonia, he's not from the city, dude. Neither is Eric Ebers from St. Joe's. They were on that third team as well. As, as, well as, uh, yeah. And I played Schultz against both those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my first high school game was against Eric Ebers. But, and that's when they had Eric Ebers, the Cullinan Twins. I can't believe I can remember this. Cullinan Twins and Jeff Muzeski. Wow, and there's a game where Mike Harry and and I hope the people that are listening will remember this game. Mike Harry came into traditional and had 62. Jesus, really? And he fought and he fouled out. Wow. Now listen, one more thing too. I just forgot about this. I know you were really young, but I I was doing some homework on you, man. I I I think I remember you saying that although you were too young to remember it well, you were at that infamous. South Park Nichols game where the fight happened, weren't you? Christian Leitner. And yes. You were there, weren't you? But you were a little bit too young to yes. kind of remember that. Yes. Yeah, that was, that was, yes. awesome, man. Yeah. I actually remembered it. Well, my cousin, my cousin James Rowe, who went to Lafayette, he, he took me. Like I remember, but I don't remember the incident as it happened. But it's funny when I saw the 30 for 30 on Christian Leitner, I, it kind of hit me again. I was like, I was there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> So you so you go to Loyola, Maryland for college, right? Why did you go there? Yes. And what were a few other schools that you considered, if any? Um, I considered Marquette. Um, and I really boiled down to there in Marquette at the time. Um, you know, a lot of schools were recruiting me, you know, to Canisius Niagara, but I wanted to go away. I wanted to, you know, just try to explore and, and see the world or or see a different part of, you know, get out of Buffalo pretty much. Um, I had family down in Maryland and, and coach Ellaby did a wonderful job recruiting me. He just made me feel, you know, like that was the place I wanted to be. Now you played there three and a half years and while old, you never made the NCAA big dance, but you had a lot of success there. You averaged nearly 18 points a game for your college career, just over five assists. How do you look back at all those years later, your college experience? I know your senior year didn't end for you the way you wanted it, but overall as a whole, your college career, you look back, what, what are your thoughts today as a, as a man and as a coach now, someone who coaches kids too. Incomplete. Yeah. Like I'm a pre, yeah, it's incomplete. I, it's, it's a story that didn't, that didn't finish the right way. And it really goes back to what we talked about earlier, as far as decision makings and things of that nature. Um, so I kind of have this, I, I used to have this, what if going on? Um, but I'm appreciative again, just to even have the opportunity to play division one basketball right. or just, you know, play basketball period at a higher level. So, you know, obviously I'm older now and then my feelings towards it is a lot different. So uh, it's just, it's just appreciative of being able to have the opportunity to go out, put a Jersey on for school and, and represent Buffalo. You didn't end up playing in the NBA, but man, you had a hell of a professional career playing overseas. 
played in like 11 different countries over 15 years. How did you end up making overseas a living, being able to play basketball? And also, and this is something that fascinates me, how hard are those adjustments when you're going to different countries? Like I have a hard time if I'm going to a restaurant and someone's not speaking English and you know what I mean? I get a little bit weirded out and it's a bit of an adjustment. I can't imagine living in all these places that you lived in and playing basketball. What was it like? Was it a very big adjustment or did it kind of come naturally for you? It, 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 we keep coming back to the same word, discipline. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to play basketball. It's just, I, I, I wanted to play in the NBA, but for me, it didn't, it didn't work out that way, but it, I, I just had to go across the pond. That's it. I had to go to Europe. I had to hop on a plane to still do what I love doing. Um, when I got there, the adjustment is not as difficult as people think. Um, because when you get there, when you get to a team for preseason, what they do is uh, you, you're at preseason. Uh, you may go up in the mountains or you're just going to be away from your city for a little bit. So you're around your teammates a lot. And what happens is whatever country you're in, they, your teammates, your, let's say France or Italy, your teammates are ordering food. And if you want to eat, you better learn how to say it. So you just start picking it up. Right. And it's not like you're at, it's not like you're making this long list of what you want. If you want rice, you say, yeah. if you want chicken, you say, uh, polio, you say, or poulet, you, you say, you, you start picking up what it is that you want because you're hearing it every day. So now when you get to practice, all your plays are in numbers or colors. So you start learning how to count. You start learning the colors. When you get to practice, someone is saying good afternoon or good morning. Thank you. Goodbye. So you just start picking it up if you open your mind to it. It's kind of like an education, like being in school in some ways, taking a foreign exactly. language in school. Let me name, exactly. some, let me name some of these except, countries. Except it's way more hands-on. Oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> like I said, I can't even imagine. I'm going to name some of the countries that I know you played in. Maybe I forgot one or two of them, but I got here. Listen, Cyprus, Israel, yes. Poland, mm -hmm. Argentina, mm -hmm. France, yes. Italy, yes. Turkey, Spain, yes. Ukraine, yes. and yes. Morocco. Maybe again, maybe yes. I'm missing someone. I don't know. What was your, did you have one or two spots of all the countries that I listed that were your favorites that you really enjoyed your time there more than the others? My favorite to live was the south of France when I played in France. It was just beautiful. So um, the city I played in was called Ier, and it was 35 minutes from Saint-Tropez, 45 minutes from, from Cannes, hour 15 from Nice, hour and a half from Monaco, 35 minutes from Marseille going the opposite way and bend up. Like, I just loved it. I couldn't wait for a day off because I'm right on the Mediterranean. I'm right on the Mediterranean. <laughs> so yeah. my days, I, you know, obviously being from Buffalo in December, I'm used to having on this big snowsuit and these big boots and a sky. I got on a light jacket and I'm sitting by the water and enjoying life. How are the um, fans overseas? Are they, are they rabid fans? Are they white fans? They, are they quiet and reserved? How are they? Oh, no. Quiet and reserved is not an option. No, they are. They are insane. I, um, the game, I, I played against Allen Iverson in Turkey. Oh, really? And, yeah, played against Iverson when he signed in Turkey. In that particular game, there was a M80 thrown on the court, and the game had to be delayed. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, so, you know, reserve is not really an option <laughs> for us. So, I mean, they like a lot of the countries I played in, like uh, Greece, Italy, they have shelters built over the actual bench because fans would throw things 
showing their displeasure for a call or a team or like it, it it's, it's crazy. Played in, in Greece where we had a police escort going to the game and our fans were not allowed to go because we played our rival. Oh. And in the game during warmups, in the game during warmups, there is fire and flare going on. Really? Like, wow. yes, yes. Like it's, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> that is nuts, man. before we get out of here before we wrap up i kind of want to spend a couple minutes talking about current events now you're at bishop timon you're coaching the basketball team how did that opportunity come about for you um big thank you to joe lakata um he and i met through a mutual friend playing pickup basketball um and when he got the job at timon he reached out to me asked me if i wanted to coach and i accepted the job so you know i really appreciate the opportunity that he gave me to to, to stand on the sidelines and, 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 and help these kids. Yeah. And I'll tell you, man, we talked about this before we started taping. When I found out about that, I was excited because again, I remember you very well. I was a big fan of you as a basketball player. And also I was a big timing guy over the last decade or so. My nephew, Jordan Williams went there. He was a basketball and football player. He's playing, he's doing yeah. his thing. He's playing in the arena league right now for um, Philadelphia. And then of course, Damone Harris played on the basketball team too. Of course, he's a football player. He's a, he was a rookie last year with Tampa Bay. In fact, he lives yeah. less than an hour from me. Me and him get together all the time. In fact, we had Thanksgiving together last year. So I'm a timing guy, and that excited me, man. One last thing here, right? I want you to talk mm-hmm. for a minute about the pros and the cons of being a former basketball star like yourself, becoming a coach in Buffalo, because here's what I think, anyway. A pro, would I would imagine, is respect. Anyone in Western New York who has any kind of hoops background at all, they know about you. They know what you did, and they know what kind of basketball player you are. So when you're in that huddle and you're talking to these kids, they got your respect. I, I, I'm, I would imagine they definitely got your respect. On the opposite end, and maybe I'm wrong here, a con potentially could be you as a basketball player, and we've talked about this, you set such a high standard for yourself, and I'm sure your own personal standards were high, and not everyone can match that intensity level and dedication that Jason Rowe had as a basketball player. So does that sometimes it can get frustrating trying to project you're, you know, what you want out of somebody into just somebody who's just an average, typical high school basketball player. Can that be a detriment at times or at least something that you got to navigate and manage? The day I got the job, I called my uncle Lester, who at the time was coaching at West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And he has given me the best advice. He said, Jason, don't coach them how you played. Coach them as individuals. If you coach them how you played, it will drive you crazy. Right. But coach them as individuals and coach them up. So with that being said, I took his advice and my frustration really doesn't I don't get frustrated. I don't know if you've seen me coach. I don't yell. I don't scream. But I played that way, too, as a professional. Right. Um, I treat each kid. To, to I, I want them to get better. So if I have to take the time to coach them and sit there and say, instead of dribbling 47 times, you can dribble twice and take one shot then that's my job. And if he does this, then it works. That's a pro. So to me, I don't see, and it's just the type of attitude I have anyway, I don't have any cons. I don't see the con. I'm in a fortunate situation where I can help these kids become, these boys become men. So the goal is that. So if I have to take a little more time to do that with a particular kid, then that's fine. But the goal still doesn't change. So it, 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 you know, generally speaking, I really don't get frustrated much. 
I don't. I may get upset at a missed layup or a box, you know, something small like that. But the bigger picture is just to sit there and just help these kids. Let me ask you one more question, then I'm going to let you go. This is kind of a project here, right? We're not going to name okay. you. We're not allowed to name no Jason Rowe on this list, all right? I want you to name <laughs> okay. people that you've seen with your eyes. They could be your age, older, younger, but you had to see them with your eyes. That's the only rule. Name your okay. top five all-time high school basketball team that you've personally seen with your eyes. Ooh. What's your, start? What's your five? Name me five. They don't have to be two guards oh, and three man. forwards, but I want you to name me five people right now that you've seen, not counting yourself. We can't do that. Richie Campbell. Okay. Richie Campbell. Yep. Trevor Ruffin. Yep. Um, I had to see them play in high school or I just saw them play period. See, seen them play period. As long as you've seen them play. Oh, okay. Like I can't Richie say, Campbell. I can't say. And they don't have to be Yale Cup. No, okay, they don't, yeah, have, they don't have to be Yale Cup. They got to, they just have to be, they have to be basketball players that you've seen play that were in high school. They played high school in Western New York. But you had to see him. Okay. Like, I can't, I, I'm not going to say Bob Lanier. I never seen Bob Lanier play, yeah. play ball. You know what I'm saying? Well, he went so Richie Campbell. Yep. Uh, Trevor Ruffin. Okay. Marcus Whitfield. Okay. Leonard Stokes. Good one. Okay. My fifth. Oh. It's so tough. <sighs> There's, because I'm, because right now I'm, it's, it's Tim and Malik for me. Okay. And I, ugh. it's really hard because no matter who you pick, yeah, there's, there's going to be like, seven or eight sensational players that. Yeah. Like, I'm like Tim and Malik, like, these guys would be ultimate competitors and could do it on both sides of the floor. And you know what? I can, oh, see, I can't. I don't, <laughs> this is a, that's a really good question. <laughs> all right. Let me, I'm going to give you mine. All right. <laughs> two of them, okay. two of the five you said were no brainers for me, and that's Trevor and Richie. That that's easy yeah. for me. And then after that, I wrote down Curtis Aiken. I really liked him a lot. He was older than me, but yeah. I did see him. I was a little kid, and I remember watching him play. And I had Paul Harris on the list. Not a city kid, but just because he physically was just on another level than anyone yeah. he played against in high school. And then for my fifth, and this is where I would struggle too, because Marcus Whitfield is definitely right there. Johnny Flynn is right there. There's like Tim Wynn is right there too. Like I said, I, I'm not, I, I can't count you. So it's just tough, man. This is something we could have probably. See, for me, I was away. I was overseas when Paul was in high school. So that's why well, I can kind of get away with that because I, I didn't see him play. Right. Um, that's true. And Kurt, I saw Kurt because I was around my uncle and he, Kurt is a family friend. So I, I didn't see Kurt in high school. I don't remember Kurt in high school. I saw Kurt afterwards. Right. So th that's what I remember about Kurt. Now, Kurt is my favorite player to come out of Buffalo for with my own eyes, period. Um, wow, that's a really good question. Uh, I hope if Tim and Malik are listening, nothing personal. I just really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough, really man. That's fair enough. <laughs> this is good stuff, dude. I, listen, I really wanted to kick this series off with you because you were one of a, a small handful of players that I remember most from my high school days and my handful of years after high school. Everyone out there is listening. Give Jason a follow on Twitter. He is on Twitter at Coach J. Rowe. Continue success, man. Good luck with the gig there. And nothing but the best for you, man. This was great. I really appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That interview with Jason Rowe was brought to you 
by our friends over at Pulse Cellular. Pulse Cellular was created to give better options for every single person out there looking for premium wireless phone service at less cost with straightforward plans, no strings attached, no confusing fine print, none of that BS that you get almost everywhere else. They got you covered nationwide in the U.S. with unlimited talk and text, including fast, premium LTE data plans, hotspot coverage at no additional cost in all 50 states, as well as the Caribbean, Canada, and Mexico. Plans also include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling U.S. lines. There are no credit checks. There are no contracts. There are no overage costs. Again, none of that BS. Go visit PulseCellular.com. Go check out what they got to offer. See their plans. I know that they got a three-line plan where you could pay as little as $50 a line, which is crazy. That's barely half of what I'm currently paying as I'm stuck in my contract right now. Don't get stuck yourself. Go to PulseCellular.com. Go check them out. You'll find out for yourself that life is better with Pulse. And now coming up next on the podcast, we have a movie review of Spider-Man Far From Home, the brand new box office smash out in theaters now. This review comes courtesy of my guy, Sean Chandler, from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. He's been kind enough to let me from time to time run some of the audio versions of his movie reviews. He's got his own YouTube channel, and it is a very, very popular YouTube channel. Again, it's called Sean Chandler Talks About. Go on there, check it out, hit that subscribe button. Dude's got like 122,000 subscribers currently. That's crazy. I have him on every couple of weeks. I've run a review of uh, one of his movies, and it seems like he's got five, 6,000 more subscribers every single time. For good reason, too, man. He pumps out content, quality content, almost daily. Tons of great movie reviews, including this one, which, by the way, is a non-spoiler review. But besides just actual physical movie reviews, he does a lot of power rankings. Like, he has uh, currently... In fact, this just went up a couple days ago. All 23 MCU Final Battles ranked. He's got all the MCU movies ranked, all the Spider-Mans ranked, things like that. Best and worst movies that he's seen so far this year. It's definitely a channel worth checking out. Again, one more time, the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. And here it is, man. Sean's movie review, non-spoiler review, audio version, of course, of Spider-Man Far From Home. The latest Spider-Man movie is the first look at the MCU after Avengers Endgame, so let's talk about it. Spider-Man Far From Home takes place after Avengers Endgame and sees Peter Parker hoping to go on a heroic spree school trip to Europe, only to discover Spider-Man is needed there too. As we go into this, this is a spoiler-free review. I will only be talking about specifics that you're able to see in the trailers. Beyond that, I'm only talking about things in broad terms. And this is a movie that has a lot of things that can be spoiled, so be very careful on social media until you're able to see the movie. With that said, let's get started talking about the good. The first thing that comes to mind is that the film does a good job of bridging the gap between Endgame and this film. It doesn't linger too long, it doesn't over-explain things, but has a nice presence throughout the film that we are in a post-Infinity War, post-Endgame world. It very efficiently explains in the beginning of the film exactly kind of what went on at the school, and it's 
pretty funny actually. We understand where Peter Parker is at. It also just kind of shows us little bits of the sorts of things that would have happened in the world because of Thanos' snap. The next positive to talk about is that this movie is very funny, especially in the first half of this film. They are going for a ton of jokes. The rate of jokes per minute is really high with this film. And because it basically uses every single character as a comedic character, which could be a problem for some people, that means there's a diverse set of jokes inside of the film. The clueless teacher that's guiding the trip has a very different way of being funny from a cranky Nick Fury. The movie even finds a whole bunch of ways to be funny about Thanos' snap and its implication for the world around us. And because of this, the movie's constantly entertaining from beginning to end. And then as this is a superhero blockbuster, you gotta talk about the action. And there is some very cool action inside of this film. One of the simple reasons for that is you have Spider-Man in Europe at all of these famous landmarks kind of going from city to city. And that just makes for a cool, interesting environment to see Spider-Man doing his thing. And when he's doing his traditional Spider-Man stuff, it's choreographed and shot in a way that there was a bunch of shots where I was like, that was just really cool what they did right there. But there's some stuff in the second half of this film that we've never seen Spider-Man do before. And the way it's visualized, the way it's shot, the choreography of it all, it's all creative, interesting to look at in fresh new action for the web slinger. Another cool thing about the movie is that it almost has a spy vibe around it. It's very Nick Fury, Maria Hill centric as they keep pulling him away from his school trip to set him up, to send him off on missions and be a part of kind of what's going on in the bigger grand scheme of things. So it has a tone that we haven't seen before. And as for Nick Fury and Maria Hill inside the movie, we've never really seen them like this before because the world has so been shaken by what happened in Endgame that they're kind of off their game a little bit and they're trying to put the pieces back together and figure out how to battle the new evil showing up inside of the world. It's also great to get to see Happy Hogan step into the spotlight a little bit inside of this film. His character and his relationship with Peter Parker have evolved quite a bit from where they were at in Homecoming and they keep evolving throughout this film so it's just nice to see his character get used quite a bit and him be a new kind of surrogate father to Peter Parker inside of this film. Jake Gyllenhaal, of course, is great in the film. He's great in pretty much everything he's in. Here, he has to be the hero. He's kind of got to be a mentor. He's got to do a whole lot more. He's good at all of it. He even gets a couple funny lines in there, but he's a nice addition to play the role of Mysterio. And finally, if you were disappointed that there weren't any post-credit scenes on Endgame, this movie more than makes up for it. There's a mid-credit scene and a post-credit scene both of them have big plot ramifications, and between the two scenes, there's four different whoa moments or reveals. With that said, let's move on to the mixed aspects of the film. The big thing that comes to mind is that this movie doubles down on the distinct and unique aspects of Spider-Man Homecoming. So obnoxious Flash Thompson, there's a lot more of him here. The distancing itself from kind of traditional classic Spider-Man imagery like downtown New York, I mean, we go all the way to Europe. The use of Stark technology, there's a lot more of it here. I personally liked Spider-Man Homecoming a whole lot, but I would have preferred that they hadn't kept going down this path. I'm not crazy about Spider-Man being so technology-based and having so much Stark stuff surrounding him. Likewise, now that we're kind of two films into this franchise, and when you throw other movies into it, even further into this Spider-Man lore, it starts to get a little bit, little bit weird that we're avoiding so many classic Spider-Man images, characters, locations. Like it's neat that we're on vacation in Europe and we have a bunch of MCU tech mumbo jumbo, 
but this is a Spider-Man movie and I want it to feel like a Spider-Man movie. The next mixed aspect is the villain situation. Now there's some very clever ideas with the villains inside of this film and they use the post endgame context in some very smart ways, but I also think that there was a bit of a motivation problem in the mix as well. I've got a whole lot more to say about the villain situation, but you gotta wait for my spoiler review. And one final thing to mention here, there was definitely some Marvel deception stuff going on with the trailers. There's scenes that aren't in the movie and there's some lines of dialogue that aren't in the film as well. With that said, let's move on to the bad. Before I get started, this is a film that's very difficult to talk about my issues with it without going into spoilers, but of course I will do the best that I can. First issue with the film is that it felt like it's had the same internal struggle that Peter Parker has in the film. And what I mean by that is that Peter Parker's trying to figure out, is he just friendly neighborhood Spider-Man or is he something more? And the movie's trying to balance being high school superhero quirky funny movie with being post endgame big epic MCU film and I don't think it balances those two things very well. It felt off and I think inherently that's one of the problems with making a quirky high school comedy superhero film as the follow-up to Endgame which is such a heavy film there's gonna be some tension in that. The next issue I had with the film is that it has a really important plot device item and the way that Peter Parker gets a hold of it, the person that gives it to him and the instructions that come with it don't make any sense at all except that the plot requires it to play out that way. And this item was a pretty big issue for me. As soon as it kind of came to play in the plot line, I started thinking to myself, I am not crazy about this, both in its kind of specific applications, and I'll just say dangerous bus ride, or its broader implications for the plot as a whole. For me, it was just too much of an obvious plot convenience and plot device that it pulled me out of the film. And finally, while I had fun with the fact that it kind of had this spy vibe to it, there's some really bad spy stuff inside of the film. So one of the ongoing jokes inside of the film is that tension between Peter Parker's on a trip and he's being called to do spy stuff and it's played for laughs throughout the whole film but at a certain point in time it just starts to strain credibility and get a little bit repetitious. Like the movie has three different scenes where teachers or students walk in on Peter Parker either doing spy stuff or changing into a superhero costume. And you just can't do spy elements in a sloppy fashion like that or else it's very distracting, or at least it was for me. In closing, I heard some early reactions praising this film as the best Spider-Man movie ever. I think that's way overblown. But it is another solid, entertaining, and very funny film from the MCU. If you enjoyed Spider-Man Homecoming, it's got more of what you loved about that film, except set in Europe. If you weren't so excited about Spider-Man Homecoming, you'll probably be frustrated here again. I can only go a B overall, but it's an 8.5 on the entertainment scale for the laughs and the great action. MCU fans as well as Homecoming fans should definitely check this one out. Thank you so much for watching and keep talking movies too much. All right, that is going to do it for this episode. Big, big thank you again, Jason Rowe, one of my favorite high school hoopsters of all time, a legend in the Buffalo High School Hoops community, Buffalo basketball community, period. Big thrill of mine to be able to get him on the podcast, and I'm really looking forward to having sit-downs and chats with some of these legends of Buffalo High School Hoops. That was a big thrill for me. Also, thanks as well to my man Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel for his movie review, non-spoiler review of Spider-Man Far From Home. Guys, if you have not yet done so already, I don't know why you haven't, but I know some of you have it. 
please go and subscribe to this podcast right now. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone, your computer, your laptop, your iPod, your iPad, whatever the hell it is, your tablet that you're using these days within literally just seconds of being released. That is always the benefit of being a subscriber. You're going to get it before anyone else does. I usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. Please take a quick second as well to rate and review the show. I say it every week. It holds true. Doing that really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. Speaking of the podcast, you can find us pretty much anywhere future podcasts are found. Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify. Again, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. One last thing. Follow me on Twitter at Pamarin Tweets. I constantly have news on there about the podcast, upcoming episodes, clips, some of my sports takes, which people don't care about, my chicken wing takes, which seemingly everyone has opinion about. So go follow me there. Enjoy yourself. Have a nice weekend. I really, truly do appreciate each and every single one of you who listen to this podcast. Have a good one. We'll be back next Tuesday, one weekend closer to the start of NFL training camps. Can't wait. We'll have plenty to talk about. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.